Can you imagine that day when we get to heaven? We're standing beside all the saints of old, and we just get to sing holy, holy, holy. Man, that's going to be a great day. Thank you for that song. Really appreciate that. Well, I'm going to put up on the screen again something that hopefully you know by now. John chapter 15 and verse 5. Would you say it with me? I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. How many of you got it memorized by now? All right, we got two people. Oh, that's excellent. Okay. <laughs> You're scared that I'm going to ask you to say it, aren't you? I wouldn't do that to you, at least not today. All right, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll jump right into our passage this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us to be here. Thank you so much for the songs. Thank you so much for our children. Father, they're our next generation, and I pray that they would be raised um, in you, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Father, I pray that they would give their lives to you even at a young age, and that they would be used mightily of you. Father, for each and every one of us, old, young, doesn't matter who we are or where we are, Father, today would be the day we would give our lives solely and completely to you. And Father, your will be accomplished in it. We love you. Thank you for all you do for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1, if you would, please. John chapter 1. While you're turning there, as always, I have a question. Raise your hand if you know what a doppelganger is. You know what a doppelganger is? Oh, yes. I get to teach some people something today. Okay, doppelganger is one of my favorite words to say. It's just a lot of fun to say. Doppelganger. Everybody say it with me, will you? Doppelganger. It's so much fun. Doppelganger is, according to the Oxford Dictionary, it is an apparition or a double of a living person. Okay, that's it. Really fun word to say, just to say somebody else in the world that looks like you. Okay? Now, Here's my next question. How many of you have ever met your doppelganger? A couple. Okay, there's a couple. If I met my doppelganger, I'm pretty sure that the space-time continuum would split apart and the world would just explode if we came together because it would just be too much for the world to handle. It's said that everyone has a doppelganger. Someone that looks and acts just like them. We're going to look at somebody today that is not just a look-alike, but who is actually the image of that person. We've been spending a great deal of time talking about Jesus, and John has laid it out very clearly who Jesus is, and so we've been looking at John, the book of John. John has described Jesus in verse 1, he describes him as the Word. And we described this as God revealed to all mankind. John also described, and we looked at this last week, as described Jesus as the light. The light. He is the light of the world. Something that we cannot achieve, but something that we receive. But John is continuing to describe this Jesus to us. In describing him, we begin to see Jesus' character. We begin to see who he is and what he's done and how he applies to our lives and how he can affect our lives, not just in the future, but today, currently, where we sit right now. So let's continue through John's description of Jesus. By the way, this is helpful for us in many areas of life because if we just know about Jesus, if we just understand certain concepts about Jesus, 
it doesn't really affect our every day. But when we understand who he is and the character of who he is and how he acts and reacts, listen, what it does is it changes my every day. The more I get to know about my wife, the more it changes who I am and what I do on a daily basis, right? Just knowing that my wife is out there somewhere doesn't necessarily help me, does it? But having a relationship with her, spending time with her, walking with her, being with her helps me understand who she is, what she is, what she likes, what she dislikes, and it affects my every day. And that's a good thing. And so the reality is John is taking these opening moments to describe to us Jesus Christ. Now it's a very high level. It's very broad and he'll get into details as we move on. But it's important for us to understand this. Maybe you've heard all of this before, but I want to encourage you. Lock in today. I'm going to have to have you have you put your thinking caps on this morning. It's almost 11 o'clock. You can do it. Okay? Follow with me. John chapter 1 and verse 14. We've read this verse before, but I want you to see it again. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bear witness of him. You'll remember this John is John the Baptist. We talked about him a little bit last week. John the Baptist bear witness of him and cried saying, this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace for the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Now we've also already spent some time in verse 14, but I want you to notice something with me. And again, the Bible is an interesting book. Okay, you'll notice in verse 14 there's a parenthetical statement, which means outside of this thought I'm going to insert another thought. Okay, so let's read verse 14 again. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Okay? And then you go to the end of the verse that says, full of grace and truth. But in the midst of there, he, John's giving us another thought. And he says this, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So not only did He come, and He was full of grace and truth. Not only was He here in the flesh, but we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. John the Apostle had the opportunity to see physically with his own eyes Jesus Christ. We find in 1 John, we've already talked about this a little bit, find in 1 John that he saw with his eyes and touched Jesus Christ. He knew Him. He understood Him. In beholding Jesus, John was able to see His glory. Read it again. And we beheld His glory. We beheld His glory. Now, let me get you to understand this. This wasn't just any glory. Okay? If you, um, if you were to meet a famous person, oh, man, that would be so much fun. Right? You could bask in their glory, so to speak. This wasn't glory of a famous person. This wasn't glory of prestige and power. 
The glory that Jesus portrayed was the glory, notice with me in this verse, as of the only begotten of the Father. I want you to watch this only begotten. Only begotten. This will be used multiple times in John. Most of you know it from John chapter 3 and verse 16. But you'll also see it again in verse 18. You might be asking yourself, why is it important that John and the people, the disciples, beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father? Jump to verse 18. Jump to verse 18. The Bible says this. No man hath seen God at any time. Stop right there. No man has seen God at any time. This is important. You might say, why is this so important? And why is it that man cannot see God? Now we're going to do a Bible study, all right? Keep your finger in John chapter 1. And I want you to go all the way over to Exodus, second book of the Bible. Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33 and verse 20. Exodus 33 and verse 20. Basically what's happening is Moses says, I I would like to see you. Verse 20 says, and he said, thou canst not see my face. Why? This is God speaking. Why? For there shall no man see me, and what? And live. Whoa. Okay, so make sure you understand this. That no man can see God and live. Let's continue. He says this in verse 21. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my, what? My glory passeth by that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall, shall not be seen. Okay, so that means just the back part of his glory, right? If any of you have ever welded before, okay, you know that you should never look directly at the weld spot, okay, while they're welding. It will give you something called welder's flash. Okay? This is very important, and I'm hopefully going to tie this in. But what happens is when you're welding, and you don't look at this immediate thing. I did this one time. I was not looking. I knew better to not look directly at where he was welding, but I would just look in his general direction. That night, I'm laying in bed, and I cannot open my eyes. They are so, they felt, feel like grains of sand are in it. All I saw was the outside of the bright light, and it affected my eyes badly. I did that actually two times because I had no idea what the problem was. One time it was only one eye, and the next time it was both, and I thought, I'm losing my vision. I'm done. It's over. Until I, my mom said, what were you doing today? And I said, we just welded, and I was like, oh, maybe that's what it was. But I knew better than to look directly at the core of the weld. Listen, this is what God is saying. I can't let you look directly at my core, but you can see the back parts of it or the, 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 the final side of it. Okay, now look. Verse, jump down to verse 34, or chapter 34, verse 29. So Moses has this 
awesome opportunity. Look at verse, chapter 34, verse 29. And it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai. With two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. Wow. So he just got a tiny glimpse of the back end of God's glory. And the people took extreme notice of it. His face shined so much that the people were scared of him. Listen, this is the power of God's glory. No man has seen God at any time. Because it would kill him. It would kill him. The glory of God is so powerful that a human being cannot stand in its presence and live. Moses only got to see the back part of God's glory. His face was shining that people did not want to come near him. I want you to think about this for a second. That's powerful. That's awesome. But this makes things a little bit awkward for mankind, doesn't it? This makes things just a, a little bit frustrating for mankind. You see, we serve a God that we can't get near we want to worship a God that we cannot see. If we see him, it kills us. Sounds just a little bit not right, does it? It's just not exactly the way that we want to reach out to our God. If we cannot see God in his glory, this makes God a little bit out of reach for mankind. This makes God seem unreachable to all humanity. And by the way, the Bible mentions this. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, you can see this, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Guess what? As much as you try, as much as you reach, as much as you work for, you can never get to the glory of God. You'll never be able to. You can work hard, you can try, you can do everything you can. God is completely unreachable. We don't like that at all, do we? Humans don't like that. So we try to make him reachable. We try to make him reachable. This is why throughout the whole Old Testament, men and women were making idols with their hands so that they could serve some sort of visible God. In fact, we just read in Exodus chapter 32 and, or 33 and 34, just a few chapters before, guess what they're doing? Making a golden calf. God is literally on the mountain with Moses and Joshua and they're down there making a visible, tangible God. You see, this is interesting. We so desperately want God to be attainable and relatable. We desperately want God to be attainable and relatable, and we will do almost anything to accomplish that. We will build gods. In fact, you know what else? If we won't build gods, because the Bible is explicitly clear, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. So you know what we do? We try to dumb God down. You'll see it all across our nation. You'll see it all across Christianity today. Hey, God's just my buddy. God's just my pal. 
We'll hear things like the big man upstairs. And what we try to do is we try to dumb down God so that he's reachable, that he's attainable for us. We try to do that. Yet no matter how hard we try, we cannot attain to him. I want you to write this down. No matter how hard we try, God is unreachable. No matter how hard we try, write it down, get it in your mind, no matter how hard we try, God is unreachable. I'm making some of you uncomfortable right now. But that's the fact of the matter. We cannot do it. We can try to make him with our hands, but something that is made with our hands is not a God. Acts chapter 19 and verse 26, the Bible says this, This Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. Listen, you might be saying, Pastor, this is, this is not very good news. You're not really encouraging me this morning. It's quite depressing that we are all sitting here today coming to worship a God that cannot be touched with the infirmities of our hands. Why in the world would I want to serve or have a relationship with a God that I cannot see or feel or understand? Stay with me, will you? I have some more depressing news. But hopefully by the end, I'll give you the good news. God is unreachable. In fact, I want you to jump to verse 17. John chapter 1, verse 17. Go back there. God is unreachable, verse 17. Just the first part of this verse. For the law was given by Moses. For the law was given by Moses. Now I'm going to try and keep this short. But I want you to understand what the law is. You find the law first given in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We've just read Moses comes down off the mountain. He has two tables of the law. What happened was Moses receives the law. The Ten Commandments. We know them. He gets the Ten Commandments and he comes down and he sees them worshiping an idol. And what does he do? He whips them at him. He whips those tables of the law, those stone pieces. He throws them at the people and destroys them. So when we read in Exodus chapter 33 that he goes back up to the mountain, he's going to get a second set. But that's the beginning of the law. Then you've got the book of Leviticus. Woohoo! That is a fun book to walk through, isn't it? Details the law. If you do this, you get this. If you do this, you get this. Deuteronomy continues it. Listen, this is the law. You can t I'm not going to take the time to read it. But you can walk through and see the law, and it was so detailed. It was so detailed that if you had leprosy on your clothing, it detailed that if one stitch that was going vertical had it, and another stitch that was going horizontal did not, you were clean. But if both of them had it, you were unclean. Now, my stitching on my suit's pretty small. But that's how detailed the law is. I want you to get this. The law was given by Moses, but here's why the law was given. It wasn't just to keep people in line. It wasn't just to say, if you do this, you're going to be punished. Listen, the law was given for this reason, to reveal to us that we are all sinners. Mark it down. The law was written to reveal to all of us that we are sinners. James chapter 2 and verse 10 says this, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, watch this, he is guilty of all. 
So you're trying to tell me that if I make one little mistake in life, that I am guilty of the whole law? You got it. It's exactly right. It's exactly the point. All of us have sinned. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 tells us, and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, we've all messed up, we've all told a lie, and because we've told one lie, that makes us fall short of the glory of God. And if we ever enter his presence, it will kill us. Romans 3 and verse 20 says this, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Again, I don't want to get too much into this, but if I'm driving down the, down the street, down the 401, and there is no speed limit sign, guess what? I have no idea what the speed limit is. And so if I'm going 300 kilometers an hour, which my car will not do, not that I know from experience, And they pull me over, I can say, I didn't know. There's no law. There's no sign. Listen, this is what the law did for us. It taught us that we cannot, you cannot keep the entire law. I would bet that none of the people in this room can keep the Ten Commandments. How many of you have ever coveted? Which means I've seen something and said, I want that. How many of you ever thought an impure thought? Me. Listen, we're all guilty. And if we offend in one, we're guilty of all. And therefore, we cannot enter into his presence. The law taught us about our sin. The law taught us that our sin keeps us from God. The law taught us that there is no way on God's green earth that we are going to attain to the glory of God. It's impossible. It's completely undoable. It's something that we cannot accomplish. Now, are there people in the world that try to accomplish it? Oh yeah. The Bible gives us examples of the Pharisees. You know what they tried to do? They tried to accomplish God's law. They tried desperately and they would even go as far as making up new laws in order to try to stay within the guidelines of God's laws. And listen, there are people probably in this room today that are trying to attain to God's glory by keeping and being a good person, being a moral person, by being an upright person. Listen, I don't care how hard you try, you cannot attain. God is unreachable. Now go back to verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Notice with me this parenthetical statement. We beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. We beheld his glory. Whose glory? Help me out. Whose glory is it? It's the Word's glory. Hey, look in verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The Word's glory. Jesus' glory, for lack of a better phrase. I'll jump to verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. Notice here again. The only begotten Son, 
which is in the bosom of the Father. Watch this. He hath what? Declared him. He hath declared him. Watch this. Only begotten is used in both verses. This is God's only son. There is no other son. There is no other person. There is no other thing that could do this. This is the only begotten son of God. Notice verse 18 says that he was in the bosom of the father. Notice verse 14 says the glory as of the only begotten of the father. And it is Jesus, verse 18, who declares God to us. Watch this. It is Jesus who declares God unto us. It is Jesus who is the word. It is Jesus who is the light. Write this down. Ready? While we are in this fleshly body, the only way we can see and know God is through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. There's not one of us that can attain. There's not one of us that can reach. We fall short every single time, yet Jesus came as God in the flesh, revealed to all mankind, and we beheld his glory. We got in the presence of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He is the only begotten Son of God. While we are in this fleshly human body, which none of us can escape, the only way we can see and know God is through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. It is only by coming to Jesus that we can get to God. John chapter 14 and verse 6 says this, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Watch this. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3 tells us what the law could not do because of the weakness of the flesh. Jesus did by coming as God in the flesh. What the law could not do because it was weak in the flesh, which means it could not attain us to the glory of God because of the weakness of our flesh. We, can't, we cannot do everything. Listen, you'll try. You'll work hard, but you cannot attain. You're weak. You can't do it. What the law could not do, Jesus did. John chapter 14 and verse 9. We just read verse 6. The Bible says this. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath what? Hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? You see, Jesus is not just the doppelganger of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. He was the perfect image of God. And he came down in a fleshly form. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. So Jesus comes to this earth to do what? To declare God unto us. To reveal God unto us. He is the glory of God revealed to all mankind. Great. You might be asking, oh, that's just great news. <laughs> How does that affect my life? 
How does that do anything for me? How does that help me? I want you to read, we read the parenthetical statement multiple times in verse 14. Read the end of verse 14 with me. Full of grace and truth. Look at verse 16. And of his fullness have we all received and grace for grace. Verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but watch this. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I want you to notice two things. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Listen to me. Jesus is the perfect balance of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Warren Wearsby said this. If you have grace without truth, that is deceitful. If you have grace without truth, that is deceitful. And if you have truth without grace, that's condemning, which is exactly what the law did. Man, you can look at the law. The wonderful thing is we have the law written in our Bibles. You can look at it, and I'm telling you right now, it's condemning. You'll read it and go, how in the world is anybody supposed to follow this? That is all truth. And man, it's condemning. But Jesus is also grace. Here's how this all ties together. Hopefully you're still with me. The truth of the matter is this. God is a holy God. God is a holy God that cannot, cannot, cannot have sin in his presence. If sin enters his presence into his glory, it will kill the sinner. We've already established that. Yet God is also gracious. He's holy and he's gracious. So in Jesus Christ, we see the fulfillment of both grace and truth. You see, Jesus did something no other human being can do. Human beings have tried to fulfill the law their entire lives. Jesus is the only one to ever fulfill the entire law. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17 and 18 says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to what? To fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or dot, your eye, and one tittle or crossing of the T shall in no wise pass from the law to what? To all be fulfilled. See, Jesus did what not one of us could do. He fulfilled the entire law. Listen, you say, why is this important? Hear me, this is why. Because now that the entire law was fulfilled, the wrath of God is satisfied. And now that opens the door for God's grace to be present in your life and in mine. Because the demands of the law have been fulfilled by Jesus Christ, God is now, through Jesus Christ, able to share his grace with all mankind. That's how it affects your life. Listen, there's a huge difference between living in Old Testament law and living under what we now call the age of grace. When you sin, which all of you have, do you drop dead? That's what the law requires. If a child, oh, there's no children in here, but it'd be awesome. In the Bible, in Leviticus, if a child disrespected his parents, he was taken out and he was stoned. 
That would cut down on the disrespect pretty fast, wouldn't it? How many of that happened to your children? Never happened. You know why? Because we live under grace. Aren't you thankful for grace? God's amazing grace, but thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. You see, listen, but without truth, we need truth, don't we? Oh, we need truth. Listen, without truth, it's deceitful. If you go to the doctor and you know that something's wrong with you and he's just giving you all kinds of grace. Thanks for the grace, doc, but tell me what's wrong. I got to know why, because I can't do anything with it. But truth without grace, oh, you're going to die. Without grace, but we have a solution. It's condemning. Listen to me, grace and truth is Jesus Christ knit together. This is the good news. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, but even better news is the fact that it is open to every single person on planet earth, not just a select few. Notice verse 16. And of his fullness, the full of grace and truth, of his fullness have all we received. All. I said this last week, all means all. We have all been given the opportunity. We read last week about the fact that we could, that every man was given access to the true light. And this week we see that every man has access to grace and truth. Every single person. Because he was fully God and because he was fully man. Because he fulfilled the law. Because he poured out his grace. We all have an opportunity to experience The grace of God. Listen to me. This is nothing short of amazing grace. Nothing short of amazing grace. You may be familiar with John Newton's song, Amazing Grace. But have you ever heard why he wrote it? John Newton wrote a lot of songs for his church, and a member of his church named William Cooper often aided him in writing these songs. Cooper was a fantastic poet who wrote such songs as There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. And God moves in mysterious ways, yet Cooper battled his entire life with darkness, depression, and self-condemnation. The song Amazing Grace was written by John Newton for a New Year's Day service in 1773. Newton always wrote his hymns with the needs of his congregation in mind. On January 1st, 1773, there was one individual who desperately needed an understanding of the message that God's grace can save the worst of wretches. This was William Cooper whose depression was spiraling downward in a vortex of madness that led to his attempted suicide in just a few hours. Central to Cooper's madness was this, a deep-rooted fear that God had rejected him despite his faith. He didn't think that he could do enough to please God. Newton 
had tried hard to persuade Cooper that God's grace is universal and never withheld from a believer. Could Newton have hoped that the words of amazing grace might relieve Cooper's fear and spiritual blindness, leading him out of the dangers and and snares toward the security of God's grace? It was Cooper's struggle with doubt, anxiety, and guilt that motivated these particular words from Newton. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It was grace that brought us safe this far, and grace will lead us home. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. The reality is God's grace can never be achieved. It can only be received. And it can only be received through the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot earn it. You cannot accomplish it. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. By the way, if you have it, You have the truth and the grace of God. And you cannot lose that. He has brought us safe this far and it's grace that will lead us home. As the special saying, listen, there's going to be a day. Because of God's grace, I'm going to stand in his presence. And all I can say is three times, holy. Holy, holy. Because he is a holy God. And it is only by his grace that we're able to get it, get to him. Will you come to Jesus today? Will you please, please, please turn to the only one who can safely lead you to Almighty God? His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Word, He is the light. And he is grace. And he is truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. Father, I pray your will be accomplished here in this place. Father, if there's one person here today that does not know you yet as personal Savior, maybe they're still trying to accomplish it on their own. Or Father, maybe they just have some more questions, and that's okay. Would you please help them today to know more about you? Please help them to come to you. Father, you're standing there with open arms. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Because he was the perfect and spotless lamb of God. Father, we can have access to you. And I pray that each and every one of us would not only, number one, be grateful and ever so thankful for that almighty, amazing grace. But Father, for those who have not received it yet, I pray they'd come to it realizing that it is for everyone. And Father, we'll give you the praise and glory for it.